World War III, an increase of the LGBTQIA plus agenda, world government, the mark of the beast, and precursors to the Great Tribulation and the Battle of Armageddon, they're all prophetic and dominating the headlines right now. We will discuss the state of the world from a biblical prophetic perspective on this edition of the End Time Show. We are currently watching the ongoing fulfillment of many prophecies foretold 2,000 to even 2,500 years ago. On today's program, I want to look through a prophetic lens, and I want you to do that with me, and let's analyze these prophesied events one by one to help us provide an undeniable evidence that we are living in the end time. Let's just start off. Number one, the World War III. It's a war that will kill one-third of the world's population. It's found in Revelation 9, verse 13 through 16. John said, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loosed the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. Now, from this prophecy, we know three specific things. World War III will emanate from the Euphrates River region, which is housed in Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. It's very, very important. A lot of people are speculating whether Russia and Ukraine could kick off World War III or China and Taiwan, but the Bible specifically says somehow, some way, that World War III will originate in the Euphrates River region. Again, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. So, do we, looking at this from a prophetic perspective, knowing that the prophecies always come to pass in intricate detail, we have to look at the Middle East region. And I always keep my eye on Iran because for the last 40 plus years, the Iran problem, the Iran conflict between Israel and the United States and Iran has not gone away. ISIS has come and gone, many other conflicts, the Syrian civil war, But Iran, that conflict has never went away. Iran's the number one state sponsor of terrorism on the planet. Now, some would say, well, Dave Robbins has said uh, World War III is going to emanate and start with Iran. I I don't know that for sure. But I just know that I'm looking at it from a historical situation and a religious situation and the, the, um, the region and what's going on there, the ring of fire around Israel that Iran's trying to build and wondering if this will not be the uh, conflict that starts World War III. Also, the second thing we know from Revelation 9, 13 through 16, is that this war coming up, this is not 
the Battle of Armageddon, two separate wars, that this rule is it's going to destroy one-third of all of mankind. The Battle of Armageddon will be localized right there in the nation of Israel. But this war will start in the Middle East region, and it's going to spread out around the world. One-third of all of mankind will die in this coming war. I don't even really like to talk about it, but it's going to happen. The prophecies always come to pass. And there's going to be a 200 million man army that participates in this war. There are three entities on earth that can field an army of 200 million soldiers. China, India, and the Islamic faction on the planet. We certainly have to look at the Islamic faction being involved in the war because all four of the nations, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran, that house the Euphrates River are Islamic controlled nations. Now, The Jerusalem Post, they just published an article uh, uh, just recently on the brink, unpacking Israel's unilateral strike threat against Iran. For years now, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism on the planet, and they are trying to get a nuclear weapon. Imagine that. That would be horrific for Israel and for the United States and many other nations for that matter. But the Jerusalem Post article, it says that an Israeli attack on Iran would likely be the opening act in a larger multi-front regional war because it's probably going to pull in Russia and China as well, who are allies of Iran, with Iran expected to urge its regional proxies to attack uh, Israel in response. Such a world, such a war could presumably lead to extensive damage throughout the Middle East and a large number of casualties. Well, absolutely it could. They go in there and bomb Iran's nuclear aspirations. They've done it before. But if they do it again, it is possible that it could bring in Russia and China and maybe a whole host of nations. And you're talking about World War III at that point, folks. Now, earlier this year, the Israeli and U.S. armies held a massive joint drill, they including um, simulated target strikes on Iran. Well, they say it wasn't necessarily focused on Iran, but they were um, practicing refueling their planes for long-range bombing runs. So what do you think they were doing? The international community wants to avoid a major regional war, which is almost guaranteed if Israel strikes Iran. Now, I've looked at this for a long time. There's a guy that I follow. His name is Ken Abramowitz. He published an article in the Jewish News Syndicate, and he speculates that from a very educated perspective that World War III has already begun. We've been in it for a while now, but it just hasn't escalated to the point where there will be mass casualties. He says America's principal enemy, Iran, supported by Russia, China, and Europe, believe it or not, which declared war on America 40-plus years ago and continuously preaches genocide against the United States, or death to America, or death to big Satan, and to Israel, death to Israel, or death to little Satan. And as the aggressor, Iran relatively successfully uses all six forms of modern warfare. Physical, you can see that happening around Israel right now. Cultural, economic, legal, demographic, and cyber warfare. And Iran has created three worldwide terror arms specializing in physical terrorism, narco-terrorism, and cultural terrorism, 
with close to half a million terrorist operatives in over 30 countries. Imagine who's coming through our southern border down here in in, uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. You don't know who's coming through, right? Because many of those people are not being vetted. And I know Iran would love to have terrorist proxies right here in the United States. Well, all they've got to do is fly them into South America and they can walk right across our southern border. Think about what's really going on here in the southern United States. So, I'm giving you the state of the world through the eyes of a prophetic perspective. It helps us to know, folks, that we certainly are in the end time, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it's something that we need to be watching right now. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time. Understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. You know, everyone, there are many reasons why I watch... Iran so closely in light of this Bible prophecy that we have here in Revelation 9 verse 13 through 16 you are probably aware if you follow the news at all you're probably aware of China's effort and potentially Russia's effort to create a parallel world order not to go along with the liberal international order that was established after World War II but to create their own Uh, type of of a new world order or a world governing situation. But that's not Iran's goal. It's it's different. Iran's goal is to take over the world and convert everyone to Islam, particularly its Shiite version, using all forms of warfare to do so. And they see Israel and the United States standing in the way of them doing that. And There is no compatibility between these two national objectives, the United States 
and Iran. Either one or the other is going to prevail, but not both. And therefore, we find ourselves potentially, as Ken Abramowitz says, in a form of a World War III. Even though we don't want to, we don't want to be, we don't, we don't think we are, and we don't even want to consider the possibility that we might be, many speculate that we're already there with Iran. And it's only going to, it's like a, a tinderbox in the Middle East. Many people are standing around with matches or, or even blow torches ready to set that thing on fire. Imagine the United States of America having a, another country having arms of terrorism surrounding us. Maybe all along the border in Canada and Mexico and down in Cuba and periodically lobbing rockets into America. I mean, how long would we stand for that? I hope that we wouldn't stand for it for even a day. But that's what's happening in Israel right now. Iran has her surrounded. It's called the Ring of Fire. And it's leading up to, in my opinion, a potential World War III scenario. We'll have to see how that plays out. But it's in the prophecies of the Bible, and the prophecies always come to pass. The second thing I want to bring to your attention is the Bible prophesies that there will be an increase of the LGBTQIA plus agenda in the end time, and that it will really permeate our society. Luke chapter 17, verse 29, begins by saying, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, you understand the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that God rained fire down on that. Well, Luke says in, seven, in Luke 17, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, Luke was saying it's going to be similar in the societal conditions as it was back in the time of when Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, wow, you can imagine that. The, the prevailing sin in Sodom and Gomorrah was the sin of homosexuality, but the book of uh, Jude tells us that it was every sexual, perverse, immoral act. But one of the, the main prevailing one was the sin of homosexuality. Now, Luke said that's what it would be like just prior to, in the end time, just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard prophecy taught from the time I was a child. And I thought, that, man, that, that's just, there's no way that that could ever be like that here in the United States of America. Oh, my goodness, folks. Barack Obama was inaugurated to his first term as president of the United States on, when was it? January 20, uh, 20, uh, 2009. That same year, at the annual conference of the LGBT, the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender um, at their conference, the main one, cleverly called the, was the Human Rights Campaign, President Obama was the featured speaker. And his remarks were, for many of us, absolutely shocking. This is what he said, and I'm quoting. He said, You will see a time in which we as a nation... He's talking about the United States of America, not some foreign country somewhere. But you will see a time in which we as a nation, the United States of America, finally recognize relationships between two men and two women 
as just as real and admirable as, a, as relationships between a man and a woman, which is the biblical definition of a marriage. Well, prior to 1960, it was against the law to commit the act of sodomy in all 50 states. But over time, many things contributed to the dissolving of those laws. However, the crowning achievement was the complete legalization of this act under the Obama administration in 2015. Well, on May 31st, 2023, President Biden made this statement. He said, I, Joseph R. Biden Jr., President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution of the Laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim June 2023 a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex pride month. I call upon the people of the United States to recognize the achievements of the LGBTQI plus community and to celebrate the great diversity of the American people and to wave their flags of pride high. Now, one of the worst times for me as an American was a few years ago when I saw our White House lit up in the colors of the rainbow flag, not symbolizing the rainbow that God showed Noah as a promise that he would never destroy the earth by a flood again. wasn't that rainbow. But it was the rainbow flag of the LGBTQIA plus community. And my question to you to, in this program is, is Luke's prophecy being fulfilled? Luke 17, where just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, this LGBTQ mindset would so permeate society? Well, my answer to that question is, you and I are both watching it as we speak. The Catholic vote... The, the news source, they published an article on May 9th. And they said that the Connecticut House of Representatives... Well, let me set this up. The, you understand that there are, in the, the transgender community now, it's, it's everywhere, that men are deciding that they are a woman and trans, transitioning to that and that they are, we're, we're being forced, there are people that are trying to force us, I should say, to go along with that and to adopt that and accept that as a, a, a normal reality in our society, as something normal. However, the problem is, is that when you allow somebody just to decide or to um, identify as something, what happens when... Anybody, you've got to pretty much allow anybody who decides what they want to identify as, identifies that, right? What can you say to them? Well, what if somebody who is a pedophile wants to just say, well, I, hey, I was born this way. You've got to accept me. You say, well, that's never going to happen in the United States. Oh, really? Well, according to the Catholic vote, they, they just are a news source that reported on this on May 9th the Connecticut House of Representatives passed a bill that would effectively expand the definition of discrimination 
on the basis of sexual orientation to include discrimination against so-called minor attracted persons. They're called MAPs, minor attracted persons. HB 6638, also known as an Act Revising the State's Anti-Discrimination Statutes, passed by a landslide margin of 132 to 17, with two members absent from the vote, and it was a significant majority of the state's 53 House Republicans that voted in favor of the bill. The state's House Democratic Caucus described the bill as seeking to modernize and improve consistency in the state's discrimination and that the Connecticut American Civil Liberties Union, which supports the bill, used similar language stating that it modernizes the existing definition of sexual orientation, moving away from the, uh, a 30-year-old outdated and offensive terminology. To who? Now, it's still been, to my knowledge, it still has not been voted on by their Senate yet, but they're trying to protect minor attracted people. MAPs is what they call them. Now, folks, this is 2023. Is Luke's prophecy coming to pass? You better believe it is. The USA Today reported that this is not something that people choose. This minor attracted persons, it's not something that they choose. Michael Sito, who is a forensic research director at the Royal Ottawa Health Care Group in Canada, he said this, pedophilia is something people are born with or at least have a predisposition to. They're born with that. Think about that. God would not, God's never created anybody like that. That, that would, uh, an adult attracted to minors. And if you have a feeling like that, God forbid that you would act on that. But now that society, here's my question. Now that society has allowed men to say they are women, what can you say to someone who claims to be born to, as a minor attracted person? What can society say to that individual? And now, think of it. Now we have men in women's sports as swimmers, uh, Leah Thomas. Uh, they're participating in track and field. Their men are competing against women in wrestling, in weightlifting, and they're smashing records, and much more. And get this, everybody. I may have talked about this before, but they are also transferring men claiming to be a female into women's prisons, and then they're getting upset when women inmates are starting to become pregnant. Now... You're putting a man who's been in with thousands of other men in a prison for years, potentially, and he says one day, I, I think I'm a woman. And the, the prisons are saying, okay, so-and-so says he's a woman. Let's put him over with the women. Now, folks, can you see something wrong with the thinking here? But the Bible says, just as it was in the days of Lot, Every sexual, perverse, immoral act would be prevalent in society. And there are people today that are trying to 
force those of us who don't hold to those belief systems to comply with it. So is Luke's prophecy coming to pass? You better believe it is. Now, you and I both know that I'm just covering the very surface of this. I could go very detailed in it, but what my goal is in these programs is to let you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're living in the end time. And it's not just one prophecy, it's all of them. So, what's the next one? Well, a world government is being set up right now. 650 years before John wrote the book of Revelation, the prophet Daniel was given a vision of four beasts that represented kingdoms or nations that would exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The four beasts described all the way back in Daniel 7, verses 4 through 7, and the modern nations they symbolize are, um, Daniel said, I saw a lion with eagle's wings, symbolizing the modern nations of Great Britain and the United States. He saw a bear, symbolizing the modern nation of Russia. Many, uh, most of you have heard of the Russian bear. A, a four-headed leopard, which would be the modern nation of Germany. A ten-horned beast, or symbolizing the, the reborn Holy Roman Empire, or the current European Union. These, this is the prophecy that Daniel saw in Daniel 7, 4 through 7. In Revelation, John uses these same exact symbols as nations to describe the end time world government. In John's account, the four separate nations in Daniel 7 have federalized into a one large global governing body. And the interpretation would go something like this John said in Revelation 13, I stood upon the sand of the sea. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Upon his horns, symbolizing the European Union, ten crowns. Upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Germany's going to be involved. His feet as the feet of the bear. Russia's going to be involved. The mouth of the mouth of the lion. Great Britain's going to be involved. And the dragon, or Satan, gave this entity, this world-governing body, its seat, power, and great authority. That's Revelation 13, 1 and 2. Folks, this is a 2,000-year-old prophecy of a world government that would be established at the time, just prior to the second coming, leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And folks, this is being established as we speak. So these are many prophecies that we're looking at, coming to pass right now, that were foretold 2,000 to 2,500 years ago, Daniel wrote the book of Daniel when he was down in Babylonian captivity in, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar and under um, Darius and Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians. He wrote the book of Daniel in all that. And 2,500 years ago, just over 2,500 years ago, and we're living through these prophecies right now. And we're going to get deep into these prophecies uh, in a future segment so we're going to continue on because I want you to know that beyond all shadow of a doubt, that we are certainly living in the end time. I want to say God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for following us and look forward to the next program. Don't touch the dial. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ part two. The late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding 
Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills. But God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. And now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. In my efforts to prove to you that we certainly are living in the end time, and with John, Daniel, and actually John's prophecy of this end time world governing body, Daniel saw the nations, but John actually saw it federalized into a world governing body in Revelation 13. How's that coming to pass today? Because this is going to be on the earth and in power at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well... If you understand history, global elites have been for decades working assiduously to create a world government. This goal is a global governing system, moving on, so all-inclusive and minutely detailed that it will control all aspects of every person's life. The intention is so eventually uh, that it will eventually regulate all individual production and consumption patterns with the ultimate objective of thought manipulation resulting in absolute obeisance and allegiance. So the outcome of these efforts to create this world governing body is the formation, you, you see them in the news right now, of international institutions specifically designed to govern the world. These include many recognizable organizations, um, the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the International Criminal Court, the World Bank, uh, World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's just to name a few. There are hundreds. They're designed to govern the planet, not a nation, but to govern the entire world. This is the establishment of the world government John prophesied about in Revelation 13. Now, some of the efforts to govern the planet, I'm just going to give you a few because I have a lot of things I want to cover in the program here. But the the Paris Climate Agreement, a lot of people don't even have a clue what that's all about, or the Sustainable Development Goals. What what is that? Well, the Paris Climate Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals are twin efforts really designed specifically to govern the planet. One without the other is pointless. The Sustainable Development Goals, They were unanimously adopted by all 193 members of the United Nations back in September of 2015. The goals make up the international community's 15-year socialistic blueprint. I want to make sure you get that. Socialistic. The United Nations is socialistic, always has been. 
So you want to know what their goal is? Well, they've got a 15-year socialistic blueprint of global governance for every person on the earth. It's the Sustainable Development Goals. It's called Transforming Our World, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. According to the United Nations' own website, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and the 169 accompanying targets demonstrate the scale and ambition of this new universal agenda. The Sustainable Development Goals are an effort by the United Nations to control every aspect of every person's life on the planet. Yes, yours and mine. They have a goal for you. They want to control everything you do. Consumption and production, everything. Because it's a socialistic blueprint. One of the main areas of critical importance is the planet itself. According to the 2030 Agenda, we are determined to protect the planet from degradation, including through sustainable consumption, production, sustainably managing its natural resources, and taking urgent action on climate change so that it can support the needs of the present and future generations. So this is the reason for the Paris Climate Agreement. Remember, they're twin efforts. One without the other is pointless. Without a commitment from every nation to curb their greenhouse gas emissions, it's impossible to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. And with financial um, pledges from the nations, because it comes down to wealth redistribution at the end of the day, which is one of the number one planks of socialism. Back on January 18, 2016, during his opening remarks at the Abu Dhabi Action Day, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon made the following statement. He said the Paris Climate Agreement was adopted just after the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, the Sustainable Development Goals were adopted in September. The Paris Climate Agreement was signed in December of that year. The, he, uh, Ban Ki-moon goes on to say these are twin plans for transformative progress. Sustainable Development Goals are the vision. Climate change is the commitment by the nations, and this vision and commitment should go hand in hand. They are part of, our, of all our grand design, and that these should complement each other. If we don't implement the climate change agreement, all these 17 goals will not be fully implemented. Well, now you can understand the importance of what Donald Trump did when he withdrew the United States from the Paris Climate Agreement on June 1, 2017. President Trump said, hey, therefore, in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States is going to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. And, as of today, the United States will cease all implementation of this non-binding Paris Accord and the draconian financial and economic burdens the agreement imposes on our country. Again, it's about wealth redistribution at the end of the day. It, you follow the money trail if you really want to find out what's going on in America. This includes, uh, Donald Trump goes on to say, this includes ending the implementation of the nationally determined contribution or all, funneling all of America's money and, very importantly, the Green Climate Fund, which is costing the United States a vast fortune. They were funneling money from the United States into, all, into the, the coffers of the globalists and some of the underdeveloped nations, which very few of it, most of it went to the despots over those countries. So on, but, now you understand, it was good that Donald Trump pulled us out of that. 
Oh, here's the problem. On January 20th, on his first day in office, President Biden signed the instrument, uh, the, uh, instrument to bring the United States back into the Paris Climate Agreement. Why? President Biden's a globalist. He believes in a world governing body. He believes in the Sustainable Development Goals. He believes in the Paris Climate Agreement. And, you know, there are many other, other efforts to control the global populace. The Sustainable Development Goals is one of, if not the biggest one. According to Breitbart, though, the European Commission of the World Health Organization recently announced the launch of what they described as a landmark digital health partnership in which the digital vaccine passport style, uh, this system developed by Brussels, Belgium, during the Chinese coronavirus crisis would be extended throughout the world. You don't ever want to let the World Health Organization take control of the United States. Donald Trump in the United States was in the process of pulling out of the World Health Organization when Joe Biden took office, and of course he pushed us right back into everything, and now we're dealing with that. But there, there, there are many efforts of the globalist to create and establish a world governing body to control the populace, you and me. Another effort by globalists to govern the planet is to control to gain control of the economies of the world. Without controlling the when you control somebody's pocketbook, you can you can absolutely control them, right? Whether you can buy or sell. Well this is another effort by globalists to govern the planet, gain control of the economies of the world, providing them with the power to control the finances of the global populace, which is very prophetic as well. You say, well, where's that? Well, I think you already know where I'm going here. The mechanisms for the implementation of the mark of the beast are now being put in place, folks. This is Again, I heard about this stuff all my life. But until really the invention of the computer and the Internet and blockchain technology and some of these other technologies, it really wasn't possible to number and track and control economically every single person on the planet. When I was born, we were still dealing with mainly cash. And cash is freedom. It's not trackable. You can, you're, it's just, you can do whatever you want. But when we go onto a complete total digital platform, especially like a central bank digital currency, something like that, oh my goodness, you talk about an element of control. That will give the elitist, the globalist, absolute control over your finances. So where's that found in the Bible? Of course, it's Revelation 13, 16 through 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell economic control, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, many of you, many of you churchgoers especially, but even if you've never been to church, many of you have heard about the mark of the beast. There's coming something uh, someday where I can't put a mark of identification on my person. I can't pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. I'll be eternally damned. That is absolutely true. And I want you to know that these things are, these, this system is being established right now. It's being established in more ways than one. One of the things I want you to look at today is the central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. A central bank digital currency is a, a recently promoted form of a digital 
money. They want us to go digital. Get away from cash. Untrackable cash. They don't like that. They want it to, they want you to go to on digital because that's trackable. They can control that. And, and intangible electronic currency. Unlike a cryptocurrency, which is decentralized and private, these CBDCs, central bank, are the exact opposite. A central bank digital currency is completely owned and controlled by the, the central banks around the world. I started to say government, but it's not really the government. The central bank digital currencies are controlled by the central banks with the central, with the, um, the central bank of the central banks being the bank for international settlements. The central banks are not your government. Two totally different things. The Federal Reserve here in the United States has, has, is no more federal than the Federal Express or something like that. The central bank here in the United States is, is owned and controlled by a cabal of private bankers. Joe Biden does not control, our Congress does not control the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve and the cabal of private bankers controls the central bank here in, in America and the central banks around the world. All of your financial data, every transaction, would be always available to <coughs> these central banks. Central bank digital currencies have all, have all been rolled out and fully launched in at least 11 countries. According to the Atlantic Council, 112 nations, including Australia, India, Canada, and Brazil, are exploring central bank digital currencies and are at certain stages of their implementation. And the, the, the Bank for International Settlements, um, it's, uh, the, the general manager, Augustin Karstens, he recently said, we don't know who's using a $100 bill today. They don't like you using cash or uh, a shekel or a peso. Or they, they, He said, we don't know who's using $100 bills we don't know who's using a uh, thousand pesos bills today. We don't know. He says the key difference with the central bank digital currency is the central bank will have absolute control. I'm, this is a direct quote now. Absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that expression or the currency of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. That is a direct quote from the leader of the Bank for International Settlements. So you see what's going on here. The world government, a potential for a World War III kicking off, uh, the increase in the LGBTQIA um, agenda in the world. These are some of the main prophecies that will be occurring just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Are we living in the end time? Absolutely we are. This is undeniable proof, everyone. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider 
partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. You understand, everybody, that what's going on here is the goal to control everyone. Read Revelation 13, the Antichrist. It's all about worship or a pledge of allegiance to the Antichrist. Control. Central bank digital currencies are all about control. And if cash was working, they would have used cash to control everybody. But they can't do that. So we've got to develop something else so we can control everybody. But that's not the only thing. Another way of implementing socialism, that's one of the goals, and controlling the economy is through ESG and stakeholder capitalism. This is what Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum is. He's written a, he wrote a book on it years ago. He's been trying to push stakeholder capitalism since the 70s. In January 22, the Fraser Institute published an article titled Stakeholder Capitalism and ESG. The road to socialism. That's what they're trying to do here in America, everybody. They want to control every aspect of your life. And I, I don't want that. I don't want it here in America. That's why there are, it's good that many states are pushing back against this ESG, stakeholder capitalism, and all these things. This article by the Fraser Institute states this. Stakeholder capitalism and its cousin, ESG, it's uh, short for uh, Environmental, Social, and Governance, there, these are two related movements that diminish economic freedom, the key to prosperity, and they push us closer towards a, brand, a, a new brand of socialism. Stakeholder capitalism means businesses should not purely focus on just maximizing returns to the owners, but rather use its resources and resources of companies to solve social problems and thus maximizing benefits to the various stakeholders which would be um, the employees, customers, suppliers, communities, and countries. It's all about control, though. They don't care about your communities and your employees. ESG remains a, a, a subjective concept that's used for a wide range of causes from uh, climate policies to, uh, to diversity initiatives. So ESG and stakeholder capitalism are really nothing new. They, they used to be called Corporate Social Responsibility, CSR. And uh, who was it? I think Milton Friedman that warned against it 50 years ago. But the ESG and stakeholder capitalism movements will ultimately see governments and elected bodies of special interest organizations force businesses. This is happening. Look at Larry Fink and BlackRock. I'll get into that in just a second. But they're trying to force businesses. You wonder why all these businesses right now knowing and understanding they're going to lose billions of dollars, but they're still pushing the LGBTQ agenda, knowing uh, Bud Light, um, Harley-Davidson, all these other entities. Why in the world, knowing that their, their uh, customer base would, wants to have nothing to do with the LGBT community, why in the world would they push this stuff? Because they're being forced to. Special interest organizations are forcing business to choose the appropriate ends for businesses to achieve. In many ways, these movements are simply different approaches to socialism. Instead of governments 
owning the factors of production and commanding the heights of the economy, ESG and stakeholder capitalism, they use the regulatory state or the government to control businesses for their own political and special interest ends. Uh, consider um, BlackRock, uh, Vanguard, State Street, and the different things they're doing in these, these huge uh, asset management firms. At a time when global elites are justifying mass social change in the name of public health and a more equitable future, it's time to recognize the socialist nature of their arguments and the inevitable stagnation and increased poverty that it's going to impose on citizens wherever it takes root. They're going to put businesses out of business unless these huge firms which have unlimited funds just start funneling money in there and say, hey, you keep pushing our social agenda and we will we'll just we'll, we'll pour money into your company. I mean, they're getting to the point now where the, the, the um, Federal Reserve can just type up money and say, oh, you need another billion dollars? Here you go. Type it up. It's in your account. Uh, it's digital. We don't need to have anything backing our money. Right? This is what's happening, folks. And we're living in the end time. This is precursors to the mark of the beast system. It's all about control, but they've got to get a hold of the economy. So, central bank digital currencies, ESG, uh, the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, moving off of shareholder capitalism onto stakeholder capitalism. You need to understand these things because they're going to affect all of our lives in one way or another. Now, the New York Post says this. They published an article, Inside the CEI System Pushing Brands to Endorse Celebs like Dylan Mulvaney with the um, Bud Light uh, and the, him, you know, putting him on the front of a beer can. And uh, you had people saying, well, what in the world? And, of course, their income has plummeted by, by the billions of dollars. Why would you do that? They're being forced to. In 2018, according to the article, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, who oversees assets worth $8.6 trillion and has been called the face of ESG, wrote a now infamous letter to CEOs titled, A Sense of Purpose That Pushed a New Model of Governance in Line with ESG Values. Listen at this. Fink stated, and I'm quoting, Society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purchase, or I'm sorry, a social purpose. Fink goes on to write, To prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. Fink also let it be known that if a company doesn't engage with the community and have a sense of purpose, it will ultimately lose the license to operate from key stakeholders. Do you see how they're being they're using the investment firms and the uh, different investments to say, hey, you push our social agendas, Harley Davidson. You push our social agendas, Anheuser-Busch with Bud Light. Or you won't be able to get these certain loans or you won't be these people that are wanting to invest uh, in your company. Now, we're going to steer clear of that. And they can economically sanction these people into forcing them to push their agendas. You understand what I'm saying? Precursors to the mark of the beast system, the Antichrist, the world government. This is all tying in together. 
All of this stuff is supposed to be in play. This world government and an element of absolute control right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. You think we're not in the end time? Sustainometric. It's a news source. Get this, and I'm quoting from the article. The SDGs, you say, well, where did ESG come from? I mean, what, who's really behind all of this? Remember I told you about the world government. Well, Sustainometric published an article. Listen to this, and I'm quoting. The SDGs did not enter the global lexicon until 2015. That's when they were adopted by all the nations. Nevertheless, in past decades, investors are known to have directed their focus and concerted efforts towards socially responsible investments. Essentially designed on an early premise of social screening that had enabled them to weed out companies with detrimental business models. You didn't want to play ball with this globalist regime and the agendas we have going on. We're going to kind of push you to the side here when it comes to investments and loans. This is what's happening. And or obvious exacting uh, impact on the environment and the connected communities. Listen closely. Further, post-embodiment of the ESG, environmental, social, and governance, here it is, issues under the UN Principles of Responsible Investment in 2006. You want to know where ESG comes from? The UN Principles of Responsible Investment in 2006. It all goes right back to the United Nations, folks. They're setting the agendas the Sustainable Development Goals, which were originally the Millennium Development Goals. Now they've expanded into the Sustainable Development Goals. It's their efforts to govern everybody on the planet. And the United Nations has many tentacles. That's the head, but it's got many tentacles. The World Health Organization, World Trade Organization, International Criminal Court, the World Court, all these different things are designed to govern the planet. Now you have ESG, who BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard are, are using to, to um, enforce or to force these businesses to capitulate, to bow down, and to push their agendas. And all of this ESG, environmental, social, and governance, comes back to the UN Principles of Responsible Investment in 2006. Investors, they say, I'm quoting, better aligned their interests and strategies with the broader objectives of society and set the tone for mainstreaming of ESG investing. Not surprisingly, today, the Global Initiative has over 1,600 signatories representing um, over $70 trillion in assets under management. A remarkable growth on a global scale, right? All of these efforts, folks, are leading back to the global governing structure of the United Nations. And... John prophesied that there would be a world-governing body, a federalization of nations, that the Antichrist would usurp authority over that at some point and use that entity to govern the world. That and a world religious system that would be established in the end time. They would work hand-in-hand to get the nations of the world, the populace, to pledge allegiance to, thereby... Uh, worshiping the Antichrist and his one world governing system. I, I talked about this on one of my recent programs about the Parliament of World Religions and their signature document, the global ethic, getting the religions of the world on board with this global ethic for the cause of the world community. 
or a global order. That's what it's all about. It's all about control. How did John, 2,000 years ago, know that there was going to be a a federalization of nations that this world-governing leader would rule and there would be a world religious leader that would rule a, a world religious system in the end time and that they would conjure up this world economic system to give everybody, everybody their own unique identification number, put it on their right hand or in their forehead, and that it would be digital, and that without that they would not be able to buy or sell, that they would be able to economically sanction individuals into compliance. How did John know that that was going to be the case? 2,000 years ago. He wrote the book of Revelation when he was exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. How did he know? Because the Bible says God knows the end from the beginning. God has already seen this whole thing play out. God's all the way behind us. He was never created. And He's all the way ahead of us. He's already seen all this stuff play out. So He went to Daniel and He said, There's going to be nations on the earth just prior to my second coming. And then He said, John, I want you to write about those nations federalizing into a one world governing body. And that will be the entity that fights against me when I come back at the very end. The Antichrist is going to run that. And the Bible says in Revelation 17 that these ten nations, this world governing body, will fight against, the Antich- uh, fight against Jesus Christ when He comes back. And the Lord is going to overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. So what's our goal in all of this? I've got to serve Jesus Christ. I've got to make sure I've got my hands in His hand, that I'm born again that I'm ready to meet him when he comes back. You say, in the face of the world government? Absolutely. The apostles did everything they did in the New Testament under a world government. And we can do the same thing in 2023. You and me together, we can make it when Jesus Christ comes back. We can be prepared for the second coming. Oh, what a day that will be. 